of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I got to change the oil in my car. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic with an STP Extended Life Oil Filter for only $36.99. What do I do with my old oil? We can recycle your used oil for free. And do you have oil for my old work truck? You can find the right high mileage oil to help it go farther right here at AutoZone. Restrictions apply. A group of high school students. High school students. Elizabethan high school students started a project to research a string of unsolved murders. Their research led to the identification of the killer. Investigators now have an answer to a 34-year-old question. Once you start getting a few tips or a few leads or a few identifications, then the cold case isn't so cold anymore. There's a pretty good chance he's still alive. Everything that the students predicted through their profile turned out to be accurate. Redhead killer profile, male, Caucasian, 5'9 to 6'2, 180 to 270 pounds, unstable home, absent father and a domineering mother, right-handed, IQ above 100, most likely heterosexual. There is no profile of this killer except for the ones the students created. Just because some of these women no longer have people to speak for them does not mean that they deserve to not be spoken for. What if this guy's still alive? Like, what if he comes after us? I said, are you going to kill me? And he said, yes. This is Murder 101, Season 1, Episode 2, with a little help from my friends. I'm Jeff Shane, a television and podcast producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker, Courtney Armstrong, and Andrew Arno. Once the class had named their killer, they wanted to focus on the victims connected by his senseless crimes. Who were these six women and why did he choose them to die? How do six women go missing and nobody knows that they're missing? There were six victims, all with red or reddish hair. Only one of the victims is identified. They were found along like highways or interstates. 
most of them were in Tennessee. There was one in West Virginia, Kentucky. They were all around the South. So we named the killer the Bible Belt Strangler just because he was killing in the Bible Belt. Most of them were suffocated. They also had some other interesting similarities. They were all white. All of them were estranged from their family. Many of them were transient, oftentimes involved with prostitution. And it appeared that many of them were actually abducted on or along the interstate. So it was this tie to these interstates. They were either pregnant, had recently lost a baby, or had had a C-section. So there were some very interesting things. So they were all killed up close with the hands. So some of them had blunt force trauma or suffocation or strangling was how they died. So those are the major similarities. It's scary to think that somebody in my community or in any community could go missing and nobody look for her. Nobody know her name and she'd be found a state away and nobody knows that she's from here. During the semester, junior Kayla Vandevoort recalls the assignment structure. Our class, we each divided into groups to pick a specific victim. We got to know every detail about that victim, and we felt very connected to our victim. I had the West Virginia victim, and I picked her because I have family in West Virginia, so I felt very connected to her. I felt like, I, I would basically say I felt like she was family because I'd worked so hard to find her justice. Here's what we know about each victim according to Mr. Campbell's class's research. The Campbell County Jane Doe. On January 1st, 1985, the body of a woman was found disposed of over the side of the guardrail near Stinking Creek in Campbell County, Tennessee. The body was hauled up the embankment off the southbound side of Interstate 75 near the small town of Jellicoe. The victim had been dead for an estimated three days and was in an advanced state of decomposition. She had been beaten, bound with strips of cloth taken from her shirt, and strangled with a ligature. She was Caucasian and had shoulder-length curly red hair. Her age was estimated to be between 17 and 25, but possibly as old as 30. The victim was found clothed in a tan pullover, a shirt, and jeans. The young woman had freckles over her body and various scars, including a burn mark on one arm. She was 10 to 12 weeks pregnant when she died. She had a partial upper denture holding two false teeth. It is believed that she was between 5 foot 1 and 5 foot 4 inches when she died and was approximately 110 to 115 pounds with green eyes. Additionally, she had been wrapped in what has been variously described as a blanket, comforter, or bedspread. Cheatham County Jane Doe. On March 31, 1985, the skeletonized body of a red-haired female was found in Pleasant View, Cheatham County, Tennessee, by a driver who had a mechanical breakdown. She was believed to have died between three and five months previously from an unknown cause. Her remains were found at the side of Interstate 24 between mile markers 29 and 30 in the same time frame as the rest of the victims and the known physical features being similar. The body was found with a shirt, sweater, pants, and underwear. She was white, between 5 feet and 5 feet 2 inches tall. However, her weight could not be determined. An examination of her teeth showed that the victim had some evidence of crowding and overlapping in her mouth. This woman was believed to be between the ages of 31 and 40 at the time of her death. The Knox County Jane Doe. On April 1st, 1985, 
the body of a woman was found in a large white Admiral refrigerator in Gray, Knox County, Kentucky, alongside Route 25. Her death was by suffocation. Contradicting reports have her being killed from the night before to a few days earlier. Distinguishing features of the body included a number of moles on the right side of her neck near one ankle and below each breast, a yellow stained upper incisor, and a scar and other marks on her abdomen, indicating that she had borne at least one child. Her eyes were light brown and hair was red and nearly a foot long, which fit the pattern of the redhead murders. After the autopsy, this victim was determined to be between 24 and 35 years old and approximately 4 feet 9 to 4 feet 11 inches tall. The victim was nude except for two distinctive necklace pendants, one of a heart and the other of a gold-colored eagle, and two pairs of socks, one white and the other white with green and yellow stripes. There are reports that the victim may have been soliciting a ride to North Carolina over CB radio, and she could have been at a nearby truck stop the previous night. 500 people attended the Jane Doe victim's funeral, which was even televised, and a headstone and burial plot were donated. The case was a local sensation as the town was a quiet and sleepy place where little out of the ordinary usually happened. The DeSoto County Jane Doe is a woman found murdered on January 24, 1985, in Olive Branch, Mississippi. The victim was found by a truck driver driving southbound on U.S. Highway 78, 100 feet east of Coldwater River Bridge at around 7.30 a.m. Her body was 20 feet south of the highway and her shoes, undergarments, and jacket were missing. She was strangled with a ligature and possibly sexually assaulted. Authorities speculate she may have been tossed over the side of the bridge. She was estimated to be 20 to 40 years old. She was approximately 5 feet 2 inches to 5 feet 4 inches tall, with a weight of 105 to 130 pounds. She is believed to have been a heavy smoker. She had three piercings in each ear and her fingernails were deeply bitten. She also was a Caucasian with red hair. The Campbell County Jane Doe on April 3, 1985, the skeletonized partial remains of a young girl were discovered about 200 yards off Big Wheel Gap Road, four miles southwest of Jellicoe, Tennessee, in Campbell County, near a strip mine. She was believed to have been dead between one and four years. Her age was estimated between nine and 15 years old. She was found by a passerby in an area where trash was often dumped, and it appeared her body had been moved from its original site because of animal activity. The cause of death was listed as undetermined, which did not rule out homicide. 32 bones, including her skull, were recovered from the scene. Walker was Caucasian, had a very small build with red hair and freckles. A necklace and bracelet made of plastic buttons were found nearby, as well as a pair of size 5 boots and a few scraps of clothing. The Green County Jane Doe on April 14, 1985, the body of a young white female was found in Greenville, Green County, Tennessee. Her body was discovered by a fisherman in the brush beside a small creek that was 58 feet from the exit ramp for Geraldstown Road. She was determined to have been killed between three and six weeks previously, and her body was in an advanced state of decomposition. 
She appeared to be beaten and died most likely from blunt force trauma, which caused a head wound and could not rule out a laceration to an internal organ. However, decomposition hindered these assessments. She had been approximately six to eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died, but had miscarried before her death. She was estimated to be 14 to 20 years old, possibly as old as 25. She was approximately 5 feet 4 inches to 5 feet 6 inches tall with a weight of 130 to 140 pounds. She had a slight overbite and had some fillings in her teeth showing that she had dental care in her life. Her fingernails had pink polish. She had light brown to blonde hair with red highlights. Only one of the six victims would be identified. The Crittenden County Jane Doe. On September 16th, 1984, the body of a woman was found in Crittenden County, Arkansas, along Interstate 40 near West Memphis. Despite all the traffic, her body lay alongside the highway for four days before a hitchhiker noticed Nichols' corpse and contacted local authorities. She was found near the exit ramp. Her body had been there for several days and was beginning to decompose. Her body was covered only by the remnants of a knit top. She had been killed by strangulation. She was identified as a 28-year-old Lisa Nichols. She was Caucasian and had a petite frame. Her family members described her as growing up with beautiful red hair, but many would characterize it as strawberry blonde by this time. She was identified by a couple from Florida who had allowed her to stay with them for a period of time. She was positively identified through fingerprints. Let's stop here for a break. We'll be back in a moment. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information, so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV. 
like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Murder 101. With their list of six victims, the class wanted to figure out what drew the killer to these particular women. We really looked at two parts, the how of the crime and the why of the crime. So the how would be things like picking up people along the interstate, killing them with a knife or something like that. But the why is really what drives the killer to do this. Why do they want to choose a redhead? Why do they want to choose Caucasian? Why do they want to choose somebody who's in the sex trade? Why would they prefer to kill them with their hands instead of a gun or a knife? That's what makes each killer an individual is that there's this profile they share which hardly any other killer will match. I think especially with the prominence of, of, of legal and law enforcement and crime scene investigation and entertainment that you see on TV and you know, in the movies and right now, that that helps pique the interest of the students in a situation like this. And also to explore what it's really like. True or is it really, you know, much more difficult and dirty? My name is Josh Boatman. I'm principal at Elizabethan High School. The first I'd heard about it was when Mr. Campbell came to me and pitched the idea. He walked in and said, I've got kind of a crazy idea. Let me see what you think about it. Honestly, the, the first thought is, is usually, wow. What, what would happen if this was, was, was my aunt or my sister or, you know, someone in my community now? You know, how, how, would, how would I feel and, and what would I want the justice system to do? But how did the project fit into Elizabethton High School's curriculum? Our job is, is obviously to teach academic standards in your English and math and science, but even more so, we have a social responsibility to our students to prepare them for life after school. How do you engage with people? How do you engage with your community? How do you apply what you've learned? I think that as a school we re we're really focusing heavily on right now is how can we take this basic core knowledge and, and really apply that to our personal lives? Would I rather be doing something like that or sitting in class learning from a textbook, hearing a lecture from a teacher? You know, really just kind of thought it'd be a great idea for the kids to apply what they're learning and, and kind of take ownership. When the students, you know, step into a role where they're, they're learning and their, their application of knowledge ties to the community and ties to the world around them and they become passionate and, and interested in the subject matter, the learning almost comes as a secondhand product of that. And it's, it's fun and it's exciting for them. And they're engaged in a way that you don't always see students. If you look back in human history, you know, at times a 15, 16, 17-year-old was considered a grown adult and had grown responsibilities. And, and too many times we don't expect enough of our youth. You know, yes, they still need mentoring, they still need help, they still need guidance, but they're capable of phenomenal things. 
As the semester continued, the class worked in groups to uncover information. We shared information, like if the group that was working on a victim found something that might help another group, they shared that. One group found the podcast that Shane had done about the murders, and then like we'd relay all our information to Mr. Campbell and he would make the phone calls. And then Alex found me through Facebook and explains that he's a teacher out of Tennessee in his class. Notice that one of the Jane Doe's in this case is in their county, and he would like to do some some type of project with his students. To be honest with you, I thought that it was a weird prank. You know, so I'm Shane Shane Waters from a Foul Play Crime Series podcast. Been doing this podcast for a long time. Started it in January of 2014, which makes it one of the only uh, crime series podcasts that predates Serial. Shane Waters is a podcaster and journalist who happened to be working on a story about the same six women. I tried to come up with some type of similarities between the victims and try to find some type of uh, link of which ones were more more than likely linked together. And that's when I came with the six. The only one that I thought could be the seventh was a young child who was also found in Campbell County. But she was so young, and I thought that was going to be a really far-fetched thing just because of her age. So I ended up not including her and just calling it the six. When Alex and I had our first conversation, he was like, how many did you come up with? And I was like, six. And he's like, what six? And I told him which six I had, and he's like, that's funny because that's the six we had. Shane had a deep connection that drew him to this story. So before I went into college, I was actually homeless. I was in high school and I was homeless. Yeah, and because of the experience of being homeless, I would go on and that's why I was so determined to make sure that these women who people were calling throwaway people, that people, you know, take them seriously. But I know what it's like to feel less than a human being and for other people to treat you like that. Which is why, when Shane first connected with Mr. Campbell, he felt it was important to make sure the class was going to handle these cases with care. And the very first conversation I had with him when he told me that his, you know, that his students wanted to work on this case, I was very nervous because I already knew at that point in time why the case and the series of cases had gone cold. I knew that it was because society was treating these women less than people. So I was curious on how high school students would portray sex workers. I was amazed that they understood and that they came away with the understanding of knowing that these women weren't defined by where they were in that point in their lives. Sex workers are often ignored when it comes to crimes committed against them, despite the fact that they are among the most vulnerable populations. According to a report by the World Health Organization, sex workers experience high levels of violence, including physical assault, rape, and murder. Further, up to 75% of sex workers report experiencing violence at some point in their lives. Another study found that only 25% of homicides against sex workers in the U.S. resulted in an arrest, compared to the 61% arrest rate for homicides in general. Ignoring crimes against sex workers perpetuates the stigma and discrimination that these people face, making it more difficult for them to access services and support when they need it the most. This is a human rights issue that requires urgent attention and action by policymakers, law enforcement, and society at large. 
Shane was shocked to discover that he and Mr. Campbell's class seemed to be the only ones working these cases. But then the more that I read about it, I was just like, this is very weird that no one knows about this. Like, why were these women just forgotten about? Like, surely this case was solved or something. Like, what am I missing? So I called the TBI and eventually I talked to this lady and the lady explains to me that the case was still unsolved and the case was uh, with the, the cold case unit, but it wasn't an active case that's being worked on. She was just very not having it. And I was like, is there someone at the cold case team I could contact if I received any tips? And she's like, no, we would contact you. You don't contact them. And I was like, okay. And then she hung up on me. And I was like, that was a very odd interaction. So that was like the very first contact that I had with the TBI. I I was very confused at that point on... One, why the case wasn't being covered in the media since the 80s, and then also why the TBI was telling me that it wasn't being worked. Soon, Shane and the class got into a groove. It was kind of like they were working in a classroom and doing, like, the FBI work (laughs) and, like, the book work, like, the textbook work. And then I was out in the field doing the -the on-the-ground work and talking to people. And then I would go back to the school and report back, and we would collaborate then. So I would go out and go to the locations and talk to all these people and, you know, actually see the locations where these women were dropped and talk to the locals, talk to the people who own the property, talk to eyewitnesses. So each time I found those bits and pieces, I would kind of go back to the school to report my findings. For Shane, there were advantages to having the class have his back. I'm out there talking to people, and the last thing I'm sure the killer would have wanted was for work to get out, you know? So the fact that I have a classroom of students and a teacher in Tennessee who, if I go missing, they would be ringing doorbells, you know what I mean? So that also was comforting um, as well. Because it, it, it was kind of scary, to be honest with you, because I don't know if you've ever been to rural Kentucky or Tennessee or, or West Virginia, but you don't have cell phone service out there. So you're going and knocking on doors, and you're, you don't know who is going to be answering that door or if you're going to be very welcome. Like, it's, it's kind of scary. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm almost shaking right now just telling you about it. I'm a very large person. Like, I'm, I'm very, very tall, but and you're out there alone. It was a little scary, I'm not going to lie. Shane Waters wouldn't be the only ally the class had. You know, I always had, you know, a respected law enforcement, but, uh, you know, it's kind of offensive in a way when somebody says, well, you're a wannabe cop. It's like, if I wanted to be a cop, I perfectly well could have been. If I wanted to be, I could have took the normal route. I'm not trying to go behind the things. I don't want to be a cop. So my name is Todd Matthews, and currently... I'm the executive director for Doe Network, and then NAMUS, the National Missing and Unidentified Person Systems. NAMUS is based on dental records, DNA, fingerprint analysis, and, and fairly clinical descriptions in the circumstances of disappearance or condition that a body was found. So it's very, very not outside the layman's ability to understand, but it's very, very scientifically written to the point that it's not, it's very clinical. And the Doe Network, we use anecdotal data. 
Founded in 2001, the Doe Network is a volunteer organization devoted to assisting investigating agencies and bringing closure to the national and international cold cases considering missing and unidentified people. In 2005, Todd Matthews created a larger database called NamUs. It's a national information clearinghouse and resource center for missing, unidentified, and unclaimed persons across the U.S. The NamUs database application fills the nation's need for a unified online free secure database for unidentified remains and missing person records. Most commonly, NamUs is used by law enforcement, victims' loved ones, and medical examiners and coroners. Todd Matthews remembers when he and Mr. Campbell first connected. Well, it was a you know phone call, you know, originally, and you know you get a lot of phone calls, but uh, one when you have an accent that's very close to yours, you you kind of you kind of pay attention to it a little bit, you know, and it's easy to talk to them. They're they're from a very similar background that I am, so it's it's comfortable, you know, that uh, their their areas are facing some of the same problems that we have in classrooms. So we kind of got each other, kind of understood. And I thought, this is something I want to do. This is not something I have to do. I want to talk to this guy. I want to see what he's got, you know, in mind, you know, to plant a seed into these kids. And hopefully it'll it'll be something. Doesn't have to be a lot as long as it makes some change, as long as somebody understands it. So it's definitely worth it. So the thing that we set up was a virtual meeting. So we did, you know, like a FaceTime share where I could see the students. It's fun. You know, when you first talk to kids like it, you think, okay, I know you think this is fun. You watched CSI last night. Who's, who's got it? Who's got it to go forward? Because it ain't going to be easy. So, you know, you just got to let the cream rise to the top. And they had the interest. Uh, you know, they had the desire. They had the, the youth. And they had the numbers. Uh, all those eyes and all those hands. So a lot of what they did was, you know, just going through like what would be the basic thing you would do, uh, comparison, uh, process of elimination. So they were asking kind of high-level questions. To get to know a murderer, it was a little eerie to have to think about every single detail of this man who took the lives of six women. So it was it was a challenge, I think, for the class to try to find every single detail. And the scariest thing about it, it might be a person that you know or somebody that your family member might know that could just be that you, you kind of knew that they were kind of off or they were kind of doing something, but... If they're close to home and they're killing people, it really does shock you. Let's stop here for another quick break. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander, with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. 
And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Murder 101. Todd Matthews encouraged the class to look at every detail. Pour over these files, gather up every piece of data and and save it and and try to do something with it. Have conversations, look at these things, compare notes. And they had so many people to bounce ideas over, so many people to see one little thing that might have been slightly different in another article. You know, people talk in a town, so there was opportunity for them to find stories, comments, things that people have passed along, and they had the time and the desire to do it. He really got all of us really excited to find maybe just a name for one of these victims, because if we could just give one of these victims justice, that would be more than has happened in the last 30 years. So I think we want all the victims eventually identified, but I think that our main goal was to just try to bring this story to light, try to give these victims a name, try to give them family. And I think that we did that by considering them our sisters. And there's always something, if you go back and reread something, the kids could have looked for a later article that maybe described another object that was found on or near a body some other clue, a comment that somebody made in a news report, but this is going to require going back and reading a lot of information, going back and just literally rereading articles and looking for little nuggets, maybe a photograph that was a scene that maybe is not digitally available. Comments from law enforcement where they might have mentioned something about a ligature that might not have been in a file or in an autopsy report that was publicly viewable. So there was comments locally that you might pick up that you might not see on the national level during that time period. As the semester was winding down, Mr. Campbell felt the class was at an impasse. But what happened was once there were no leads, once they had arrested no one and the case got really cold and they could never identify them and there was no family pushing for this, I think a lot of those cases were just forgotten. Actually, I know some of those cases were forgotten. I know a a semester seems like a long time, but really you only have so much time to do so much. There are people that deserve to pay for their crimes, and there are families that deserve to have closure. And so I think that they realize that if we didn't do something now in 10 years, how many witnesses are left? Or in 20 years, is this person still alive? So it was really strange that even though it was over 30 years ago, I think there was a sense of like immediacy that they needed to do something now because it was going to be too late eventually. The class had two thorough and complete profiles, one of the alleged killer and the other for his victims. With so many years of experience, Todd gave the class a suggestion that changed everything. 
the best way to try and help identify a serial killer is to identify bodies that we think are attributed to that serial killer. So I would say the ultimate goal is to spread the word and get these victims' faces out there. Maybe somebody could recognize someone. And see, here's the issue. Law enforcement never said, determined that any of these murders were related to one another. In class, one day one of the students came up with a brilliant idea. Once we had this information, I told the students, what are you going to do with it? You have something that nobody else has. You have a lot of evidence that all these six are connected, and you have this profile of this person. So what do you want to do with that? So the students said they wanted to share it so that others could have the profile. And so that's when the students came up with the idea of trying to you know, share this you know, with everybody to do is they said, well, how would, you know, if the police had a profile and they were looking for a certain person, what would they do? Well, they'd have a press conference. They would get the information out. So the students decided that they wanted to hold a press conference at the school. We invited different law enforcement officials, different media and news outlets to connect the murders would make these cases go from single murders to a serial killer in the eyes of law enforcement. So we began to work very hard with the police agencies from four different states that were involved. And also, we looked up all the print media and the TV media that are in those areas and asked them if they would all run a story on the same day and kind of have a region-wide media blitz. And so that was their strategy, get as many police and media people involved as possible to get the word out to as many people as possible to try to generate some leads that would help in the case. We knew that we needed to spread the word for it and get more people aware of what happened, especially in the areas where these women were found. It went from a class investigating something to a class trying to share something with the rest of the world to try to have an impact or to create some change. During the semester, Mr. Campbell's students discussed their motivations. It's important to bring justice to these women because like many of us, they have families and people who cared about them. They don't, might not know they're missing or they might be estranged, but they're still a person. They still had a voice. The women didn't have anybody to fight for their right to be found because no one was pushing for it. We're finally giving them the justice that they deserve, whether they were estranged from their family, whether they may have been prostitutes or not. They still deserved to have this justice. The Bible Belt Strangler could still be out there. If you look at the age range that the students have and the times elapsed, he's getting a little older, but there's a pretty good chance he's still alive. During the semester, the class talked to a local reporter. He deserves to pay for what he did. He needs to come and face the consequences of what he did. So you think this guy is like still alive and out there? I'm not sure that he's still a truck driver, but I do think that he is still alive. Do you think we're going to find the Bible Belt Strangler? Yes, I do. It's just a matter of time now that the word's out. More on that next time. Murder 101 is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Alex Campbell, Courtney Armstrong, Andrew Arno, and me, Jeff Shane. Additional producing by Connor Powell and Gabriel Castillo. Editing by Jeff Twa and Davey Cooperwasser. Music by Vanacore Music. Murder 101 is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.